All right, as you're finding your seats, go ahead and make sure that you have a growth guide for today. And if you need a pen and you're here on site, you can grab some from any of those spots where we have pens along the side. Uh, again, welcome. I'm Pastor Brian Foreman, and this is Cornerstone Community Church. For those of you that are watching or listening online, again, welcome. We would love for you to check in. You can do that by going to our app or by texting the word here to 603-225-2550. And just so you know, when we come to the next steps, the card has the next steps down at the bottom, but also the online versions, you can do that as well. If you're using the app, then you'll see those check boxes at the bottom of that. And you will also, if you are texting, you can text that as a keyword to let us know that you are taking those next steps. And those next steps are explained in the growth guide. Today I'm going to do things a little bit differently. I'm going to start with the reading of the scripture for today. So we are going to look at two passages, Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 to 4 and 1 John chapter 2 verses 15 to 17. So I want you to listen and I want you to see if you can hear any of the parallels between these passages. That's something to look for as we are reading. I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. If you want to follow along, if you've got a device where you can choose what version you are reading. They're short passages, so it won't take long. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 4 says this. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in his glory. And then 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17 say this. Do not love the world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word, and I pray that as we speak about it, as we learn about it, as we focus on it today, that you will speak to every single person listening, watching, here, in person, perhaps listening sometime later this week or maybe even years from now, you are present, you inspired your word, you can speak to every heart. That is my prayer right now. I believe that you can do it. I believe that people came in here with certain needs and questions and that you can meet those needs and answer those questions today. I pray that you would do it through your power, your Holy Spirit, and to the glory of your Son and your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so 
We're in this series called Praxis. The idea of praxis, it's based on a Greek word that talks about our course of action. We just said that the acts of the apostles in uh, the New Testament, that's the praxis apostolos. That's, that's the Greek name for that. It's the things that we do. It's the, the, they are the rhythms of grace that we do as believers in Jesus. And we put them under this rubric of knowing God, growing together, and going and making a difference. And so far in this series, we've been focusing on this know God part of it. There are certain things that we do to commune with our Heavenly Father. And we saw just how Jesus would regularly, consistently, habitually go off by himself to isolated places to pray. We have been focusing on this idea of communing with God. Now, the practical step that I've been encouraging throughout this whole thing is the life journaling process. If you're not familiar with that, then you can pick up one of these. We usually have uh, at least several of these back there, but if you don't have it, you can find this. This is the life journaling, first steps life journaling process. It tells you how to do it. It includes a reading plan. And this is just a tool to help you to read and respond to God's word on a daily basis. So we would love everyone, when you say yes to Jesus, the first time you do it, you're saying yes to his forgiveness, what he did on the cross, he wanted to count for you. You're saying yes to his lordship, that you're going to follow his lead, that he's the boss, that he gets to call the shots. That first step, we celebrate and commemorate with baptism, and I'm going to do a message on baptism eventually. But after that, as you walk with the Lord, and some of you have been walking with the Lord for a long time, you still continue to walk with him in the same way that you got started. You say yes. What are you saying yes to? Yes to his forgiveness. Yes to his leadership and lordship. And the idea is that we step forward into each day following after him with an unconditional yes to what he says to us. And we facilitate that process of communion through the life journaling process. If there's one habit that I want you to get in, it's that life journaling process. So exactly one month ago today on June the 2nd, when I was doing my life journaling, I came across this scripture from 1 John. And it had a profound effect on me that continues to this day and I expect will be a lesson that will stick with me for a very long time. Now why I want to share this with you, number one, because it's good stuff. And number two, because I want you to be inspired to do the life journaling process, to figure out some way that you're reading and responding to God's word, that you're communing with God on a daily basis because he can speak to you in such a way that it will transform your mind and your life from that point on. And I want you to have that experience. If you could get a daily briefing from the God of the universe who created you and loves you, knows you better than anyone else, knows what's coming in your day, knows what you need for your day, would you take that briefing? Yeah, you probably would. You'd be dumb if you didn't. And so why is it that we don't do this? So I hope to inspire you. And the theme of this, the question that I think that this answers is, can I be okay if my plans don't turn out okay? All of us probably have hopes and desires for our career, for our family, for our lives, for fill in the blank. 
that in some cases have come true. Everything has just unfolded just like you had hoped that it would be. And then for many other aspects of our lives, there are things that have not gone, gone according to plan at all. I know uh, for me, I noticed that uh, when I was in school, I had an easy time at school. I got good grades without even trying. When I got to college and I really even cared more about what I was studying, I did even better. And I had success at that. The first several jobs that I had, I did really well. I got promoted. People loved me. They hated it when I quit. It, everything was going smoothly for me. And then there were two things that... I wouldn't say they went wrong, but they definitely humbled me, and many of you will be able to relate to at least one of them, and that is I became a parent <laughs> and I became a pastor. I became a parent and I became a pastor, and I realized that I maybe didn't have it all together and I wasn't all that as much as I thought I was. And it was, a, it was a real struggle when things did not unfold, for example, with the planting of Cornerstone over 20 years ago. Things did not go according to my plan. It was not just one, uh, one absolute success and victory after another. And there are five years of my journaling that you could go back and read. I was like, what am I doing? Did I miss God? If this is not from you, just kill it now. I don't want to be doing anything that you're not in. That, that was kind of the things that I went through. And what I, and it had definitely had some benefits. Number one, some of you have heard this before. Uh, for many pastors and many people, their identity is wrapped up in what they do, okay? And one of the benefits of the difficulties that I went through is that that's totally separate. I could be, I could quit tomorrow, the cornerstone could fold tomorrow, I would still be okay. Because my identity is not wrapped up in being a pastor, it's being a child of God, and that cannot be changed. So, um, so I know that many of you can relate because I already see some head shaking and I see some, uh, I, I, I see some agreement out there. But there are some things that we're tempted to think, if that doesn't happen, I'm not sure I can be okay. If I don't get married in a certain period of time or at some point, I can't be okay. If my marriage doesn't survive, I can't be okay. If I don't get this job, if I don't get the love of this person, if I don't get the approval of this person, I don't know if I can be okay. Uh, for, for some, it's, uh, it, it's, you, you could be in school and you're like, if I, if I fail another class, I don't know if I can be okay. If I don't get this degree, if I don't get this promotion, if I don't get this job, if I don't look back over my life and I know that it's not going to be an un, unending stream of successes, but, if, but these things have to happen. Or I'm not sure I can be okay. And what this passage, whether you realize it or not when I read it does, is answers and addresses this issue. Can I be okay if my plans don't turn out okay. So the message is called, We Must Be Wrong, intriguingly named. You will understand it at the end. But what we're really talking about today are our affections. 
What do we set our hearts on? And the bottom line, if you're taking notes, is this. I can be okay without those things that I think I need to be okay. You see, some of us are going to realize that we have bought into a lie that says, if this thing doesn't happen, if I don't achieve this, if this doesn't happen, then I'm not sure I can be okay. It is going to ruin me. And what you're gonna find is because of Christ, because of his kingdom, because of his work on the cross, because of his adoption of you into his family, you can be okay without some of those things that you think you absolutely need in order to be okay. So here's what we're gonna say. Again, don't try to write this down. We'll come back to this, but I just wanna give you an overview uh, from the scripture in 1 John. The love for the world displaces our love for God, and we'll see how that connects. Um, secondly, we can love things that lead to death or life. You can set your affections. So what are you gonna set them on? And then thirdly, thirdly, <laughs> um, the world's affections lie to us. The world's affections lie to us. So before we go, we're going to decide to do at least one thing to redirect your affections this week. So let's go through it together. You can be okay. I can be okay without those things that I think I need to be okay. First, love for the world displaces love for God. Love for the world displaces love for God. Now, while you write the word displaces in your notes, I'm going to set up my object lesson for today. I love a good object lesson, and this is a good one. So here I have a cup, and uh, think of this as full of the things that you love. This is your, these are your affections. Now, there's only so much space in this cup, and so as I pour something else into this cup, you're going to see what happens. That nice clear water has been displaced by cancer-causing Diet Coke. <laughs> right? And so, as a result, that clear water has been displaced by the Coke. The same thing, same kind of thing can happen with your affections as well, the things that you love. Now, if you don't know, the Apostle John, remember the letter was called 1 John, the Apostle John, who also wrote the Gospel of John, he is known as the Apostle of love. Love and love of God, love for people, is his ongoing theme. We, we can see this in his Gospel, most famous verse in the Bible, John 3:16. for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You've heard of the 10 commandments. You've heard of perhaps the great commandment. Do you know the new commandment? This is also in John 13:34. Jesus said, "A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another." You've heard me say before, the thing about this that's new is not to love one another. They had heard that many times before. The new thing is the standard that Jesus gave 
as I have loved you, so you must love one another. So it wouldn't be a surprise that the gospel written by the apostle of love, the apostle of John, when he starts writing a, writing a letter to the church, would pick up on this theme of love. And we see this in 1 John 4, 7, a couple of chapters later in this letter. It says, dear friends, let us continue to love one another for love comes from God. And he goes on to say in the next verse, for God is love. That's where that famous phrase is in the scriptures. But before he gets to this, where he's talking positively about the love of God, he, uh, he starts out talking about love from a sense of warning. And that's the passage that we read. Do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. That's the New Living Translation. I like the way the message puts it. Always very colorful. Always kind of a nice picture. He, in the message translation, it says, love of the world squeezes out love for the Father. In other words, the love of the world displaces the love of the Father. And so what that means is that you can direct your affections. You can direct your affections and you can displace one with the other. So bear that in mind because we think, because again, the bottom line, I can be okay without the things I think I need to be okay. We think that there are some things that I need so desperately and so necessarily that I'm willing to do whatever, set my affections on whatever in order to make that happen because I can't be okay without that. So if we are going to displace the love of the world with the love of the Father, then we first have to get this settled and to know I can be okay without the things that I think that I need to be okay. So, love for the world displaces love for God. That's the first thing that this passage teaches. Secondly, we can love things that lead to death or life. The things that you set your affections on are going to set the course for your life. In the next verse, this is what John says. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure. Now, some of you will be more familiar with this verse in older translations where it says literally the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The translations that we're reading are going to bring that out a little bit more so you understand what they're talking about. The craving for physical pleasure. In other words, there are certain physical needs or cravings that we have and if I don't meet those needs, I can't be okay. That's, that's love of the world. I, I have to have those things or else I can't be okay. The lust of the eyes, the desire for, an intense desire for. Interesting. So the word for patience and desire in the New Testament share a root. The word for lust or desire. It's actually not a bad word. It's dependent upon the context. So that's why sometimes it's translated lust, which we think of as in a negative context. Sometimes it's translated as desire. It's that word burn with an intensifier at the beginning. So it's like high 
burn, high burn. It's, it's intense burning. That's what it means. Now, the word for patience has the prefix micro in front of it. Micro. Everybody knows that word. It's a, a small flame. It's like slow to flare up. That's what patience is. So, so this is, I'm going to, I desire these things and it's a, it's, it's an intense flame. I've got to have it. I got to meet this physical need or craving for everything we see. You can categorize that under two categories. You can think of it as greed. Greed always says more. It's never enough. I always need more. Or it's envy. You ever seen two little kids playing with toys? What's their favorite word? Mine. Uh, some of you have small children. <laughs> so that's, it's, it's more or mine. That's what the craving for everything we see. I can't be okay unless I have that. And then lastly, and pride in our achievements and possessions. And that's the one that I think really kind of kind of clicked in with me. And you'll see why in just a second. So in summary, he says, these are not from the Father, but are from this world. But then what he goes on to say is this, and this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. In other words, all those, all those high burn, intense burn that you have for those things they're all about things that aren't going to last forever and that honestly aren't going to satisfy either. But we think we have to have them or we won't be okay. And what he's in essence saying is you're tying yourself with those desires and letting those cravings and desires control you. You are tying yourself to a corpse because this world is dying and passing away. How much better... It would be to hitch your wagon to life. And that's what he goes on to say. But anyone who does what pleases God, what, what pleases God will live forever. Are you, through your desires and your longings, pursuing something that ends in death, tying yourself to a corpse? Or are you hitching your wagon to something that leads to life? And that's what we see in that passage in Colossians. Let's go back to it for just a second. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts. Set your hearts. You can set your affections. You can determine. You can direct your affections. They are not in control of you. Ultimately, you steer them. Set your hearts on the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Now, even though it says, when we think of earthly things, we think of wealth and power and stuff like that. But in context there, it's actually kind of interesting. It's talking about character. It's talking about the, the, the setting of your heart. And the things that are gonna last forever are the reflection of the character that is going to last forever. Kindness, love, selflessness. And the things that are going to tie you to this world are the character traits that are destructive, selfishness and the like. So you can set your heart. You can be all okay with the things that you think you need to be okay without the things you think you need to be okay. 
your love for the world displaces love for God. And we can choose. We can direct our affections. We can love the things that lead to death or life. And here's the thing. The world's affections will lie to us. They will tell us, if I don't have this relationship, if I don't have this experience, if I don't have this success, I'm not going to be okay. And it's a lie. It's not true. Let's go on. Practically everything that goes on in the world, First John 2.16 in the message translation, this is a verse we've re- seen before, but we're going to revisit it because this is what jumped out to me when I was doing the life journaling one month ago. Wanting your own way, wanting everything for yourself, wanting to appear important has nothing to do with the Father. And that's that phrase that really jumped out to me, wanting to appear important. In other words, I care about what people think of me. The pride of life, the uh, pride in our achievements and our possessions. If I don't have that, if I don't have that esteem, then there's a lie that says, I can't be okay. I can't be okay. And it's simply not true. When I was reflecting on it, I was thinking about, you know, there's certain things that we think, you know, we want to achieve certain things by the time we're a certain age. We want to look back on our lives and say, this was a success and this was a success. Don't care about some of these things, but those things are super important. And part of it is that our identity and the way that we feel about ourselves is so wrapped up in those things that we think we can't be okay without them. But what about Jesus? And I was thinking about, well, what about Jesus? What, wanting to appear important, wanting people to think well of me, wanting to say, these are the things that I have accomplished. Well, let's look at Jesus. How did, how did he do on that score? And what I see in Jesus is this, and this is what I wrote in my journal that day. Jesus' way... I noticed in contrast, is to appear unimportant, weak even, marginal, unnoticed. He was those things that makes one appear unimportant. What are some of those things that Jesus was that make him that that, that make him appear unimportant? He was poor, he didn't have a lot of money, untitled. He didn't, uh, he didn't have any titles or anything like that. He was part of an oppressed, conquered people. His people were the losers on the global scale. He was unpublished, never wrote and published anything. Homeless. I have no place to lay my head, Jesus said. Dependent. Uh, people gave money to support him keep him going how do we feel about that when we're dependent upon someone else he was unmarried and childless and sometimes we think "Mm, no I, I can't be okay if that's going to be me now but here's the interesting thing and here's what I wrote interesting that none of these things diminish him in our eyes 
We love Jesus. We think Jesus is the greatest. We model our lives after him. We worship him because he is God in the flesh. And he was none of these things that we think are important and that we think we have to have in order to be okay. So what we are doing is we are believing a lie. We think that being these things would diminish us. I can't be like that. We think those things would diminish us. We must be wrong. We must be wrong. We must be wrong. If we believe that lie, we must be wrong. And our, our worship of God, our worship of Christ, our following him reveals that lie because the one we hold in the highest esteem was none of the things we esteem. The one that we hold in the highest esteem was none of those things. We think Jesus is pretty okay and he didn't have any of those things that we think we need in order to be okay. Love for the world will lie to you. Now how can you be okay? I talked earlier about the next steps that we have as a church that um, we've uh, charted out saying yes. Have you said yes to Christ? Has there ever been a time where you have said, yes, I want what you did on the cross, Jesus, to count for me. I, you, you died on the cross for the sins of the world. Great. I want that to count for me. And from this point on, I'm going to follow you wholeheartedly as best as to my ability and as with the grace that you give me when you, uh, I'm going to start my day by saying yes to you. What's the question? What do you have for me? But then we take those next steps. And part of that is developing habits, those rhythms of grace like life journaling. But when you do, then Jesus is going to lead you as you say yes to him. He's going to make it okay for you. He's going to reveal those lies that you've been believing. He's going to show you the path that he has for you. You can be okay with Jesus and without those things that you think you need to be okay. Today we've been talking about affections. And what we've said is, I can be okay without those things that I think I need to be okay. We've seen how love for the world displaces love for God. We've seen that we can love the things that lead to death or life. It's up to you to set your affections and that the world's affections lie to us. So here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want, um, uh, uh, the way that we make this practical, because every time we get together, I try to give you some practical step. I want you to do at least one thing to redirect your affections this week. So for example, um, craving for physical pleasure. How can you say no to something that you think you, you, know, you have to have, you know, fill in the blank, and you can say, I'm, I'm going to say no to that and sh prove to myself, prove that in God's power, I can be okay without that. What can you say no to, to, to what old-timey old Christians used to call mortifying the flesh? Um, secondly, the everything you see. We, we live in a very wealthy society. Most of, you know, my kids get frustrated when it comes to give me a gift because they complain. Every time I want something, I just go ahead and get it. 
that's, that's the kind of culture that we live in. We, we have incredible wealth. The poorest among us has incredible wealth from a worldwide and a historical perspective. How can you say no to the constant demand for more and mine? What can you say no to? I don't, I don't have to have more of that. I don't have to have that. What can you, it's okay that they have this and I don't. I can be okay with that. Redirect your affections. And then the pride of life, that wanting to appear important. What can you do to embrace obscurity? To do something regardless of whether you're gonna get credit for it or not. To not care so much what people think of you. A lot of times we spend time trying to manage people's perception of us. I wanna make sure that they know I do this or I don't want them to think that. How about if you just kinda of let that go for a, a little bit of time this week and not, not care about appearing to be important. And what you will do when you do that and you start redirecting your affections, recognizing the lie, the same process can work in reverse. It can take a dark heart that is full of the love of this world and you begin to redirect your affections and your attentions. And God can purify your heart, redirect your life, and clarify your soul if you will let him. You can be okay even without those things that you think you need in order to be okay. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful that you can change a heart, you can redirect a life you can write a new ending to our, our stories. And I pray right now for these, my friends, my brothers and sisters, myself, that you will set our hearts right, that you will set our hearts towards you, that we will re recognize and reject the lies that we've been believing, and we will embrace a life of faithfulness and fidelity to you. And every morning, just allow you to fill our hearts and fill our days with the things that you desire. We thank you for this. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen.